Hi, I'm David Haney from Decatur, Alabama. I'm Jory from Los Angeles. I'm Justin Bima from Linden, Washington. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's The Sound of Young America. Maximum It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our show this time around was recorded live in Portland at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. My guest is the stand-up comic and actor Nick Kroll. Nick's been seen on The Human Giant and in ABC's sitcom Cavemen. He's also provided voices to Fox's Sit Down and Shut Up and HBO's The Life and Times of Tim. Let's get to the stage of the Baghdad Theater in Portland, Oregon. How's it going? Nick, stop being sexy with the audience. We have to talk. I fuck all you guys. He's not going to F anyone. Can you just say the initial on public radio? Yeah, that's the rule. Initials only. Okay, good. For everything. For all of it? Yeah. Tab is smiley, can S my D. Nick... That's completely inappropriate. I think what you mean is T.S. can S your D. Yeah, I'm sorry. If I say L.S., does everybody know I'm talking about Lakshmi Singh here? No. <laughs> how, many, how many letters are there in Ophabia Quist Arcanine? Is that O-Q-A? Oh Why is NPR filled with so many amazing names? Nick, anybody let's know? talk. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about you. Welcome, Nick. Thank, Thank you for thanks. being here. Thanks um, for having me, Jess. <laughs> How, how old were you when you started doing comedy? Uh, I mean, I started doing comedy f- for realsies in, in college, but I think I, my first performance, I was the, uh, the pharaoh in uh, the second grade production of Exodus from Egypt. Sure. And so that was, I think, my first real performance. But it was, it was, a, it was a dramatic performance, more than it was. I think I brought some levity to it. Um, <laughs> I was wearing a gold lamé outfit. <laughs> And that's also when I came out, actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I started doing, uh, I went to uh, uh, Georgetown and, and uh, the, the comedy mecca that is Georgetown University and um, started doing like improv there with a bunch of very, very funny people. And uh, I saw the Upright Citizens Brigade when I was a freshman. I was doing a sketch show and this was their, their show was about to come out on Comedy Central, Amy Poehler and Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, Ian Roberts. And, and I saw a long form improv in it and it just, it kind of, it blew my mind. What was it about the long-form improv that blew your mind? I think it was the, the idea that there, like, that anything could happen and, and everything was adaptable at any point, and you could you could paint a picture and then just like wash it away immediately. Were you already sort of building characters at that point? Was that an important part of what you were doing then? I don't know. I think like you know part of it doing improv early on. I, yeah, I think I was always doing characters and bits. I just don't think I knew I was doing them. Like right now, I'm doing the character. Uh, I'm wearing it for the people on radio. I'm wearing a, a a green corduroy jacket and my legs folded. Like I'm doing the uh, character of an a hole on on public radio. <laughs> I think pretty convincingly too. 
It should be noted that I'm wearing a tweed suit, have my legs folded the same way, and I'm wearing a bow tie, which is the character of King of the A-Holes on public radio. And we celebrate you. Um, In what area were your first successes? Because you're you're talking about doing sketch and doing improv, Mm -hmm. but you've also been doing stand-up all along. Yeah, I think when I graduated, I, I... it's weird. The only time I had been in Portland was I was driving around the country when I graduated college trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, I knew that, quote unquote, uh, I wanted to uh, uh, change the media landscape. And you achieved that last year with the ABC sitcom. Being on the hit ABC, the Oscar winning TV show, Caveman. <laughs> um, so I think, though, I, you know, I was driving around the country. I wanted to do like socially responsible marketing or something. I was trying to figure out something that. Uh, would seem cool, maybe get me laid and uh, pay for a Volvo. And so I ended up, uh, but I was driving around and I had a dream somewhere in West Virginia about uh, being at Katz's Deli uh, in New York with uh, John Stewart and Mel Brooks. And I, I kind of woke up from that dream and was like, uh, I think I need to pursue this. And I don't know exactly what it is. And mainly just go to diners with old Jews. Um, but it was always the, my, the philosophy that I've sort of followed thus far is uh, that regret uh, was a lot more powerful than rejection for me. So it was like, whatever it is, I need to give this a whirl and see if, see if it works. And so I came to New York and, and literally just through it, you just, it's, I think you cast as wide a net as possible. So it was like doing improv and doing open mics. And then uh, the first real thing I, I think I did was actually a book. Um, uh, I, I, I co-sort of curated a book called Bar Mitzvah Disco, which was uh, a book of people's bar mitzvah pictures and stories from the 70s to early, the early 90s. And um, it was bizarre. I had no intention of ever writing a book. And, and, um, but, you know, sort of learning how to produce anything is, is a, a lesson in, in production, um, which is a pretty profound thing to say. <laughs> I like your corduroy sport coat, by the way. Yeah, thank you. It's got patches on it, and it's filled with sadness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I don't know, I don't know what your question was. Did you? Uh, I think it was. So, yeah, so I, it literally was cast a wide net, and then, and then see, see what landed and, and, and learn along the ways of what I like to do. And, and what I learned doing that book was I did not like to bother people about getting uh, scanned JPEGs of bar mitzvah albums that were at their parents' house in Bloomfield, Michigan. Uh, what I like to do is get on stage and, um, and uh, you know, try to make people laugh. And, and what, what I started doing was stand-up, and then I also started doing the character stuff, um, and I found, like, presentational characters to be uh, really fun and a mix of those two worlds um, and sort of trying to cultivate these specific voices, uh, which I then ended up bringing back into my stand-up. Um, were, were there things that you did early on in your career that mm-hmm. now fall into the regrets category? Were there overreaches or mistakes that you made? I mean, cocaine. Sure. <laughs> no. I don't do cocaine. It's a lot of meth. Um, no, I... Um, 
I, when I first started doing stand-up, I used to host... Uh, there was a room that we would do in New York called the B3, and it was this basement uh, show, uh, shockingly, on Avenue B and 3rd Street. And uh, we would do these open mics. There was, like, one uh, right near there called the Trainwreck, which was really fun. And the open mic scene was is crazy. I'm sure it's the same here and across the country. There are some really funny, talented people who are just figuring out a way to, to begin to express themselves publicly. And then there are, like, uh, 65-year-old men who never met a pair of sweatpants that they just didn't immediately fall in love with. <laughs> and... Um, you spent most of their time talking about their uh, their changing their meds and uh, how their roommate slash mother was difficult, and um, so I I was doing a lot of those open mics and I and I went to the B three one night and uh, there was like six seven people downstairs and I was feeling real real randy and and um, I'm getting ready to go on stage and the waitress comes downstairs and goes oh my god Bill Murray is upstairs and. I didn't, for, for whatever reason, I, 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 I didn't think about it. I just went right upstairs and went up to Bill Murray. And this was right around, I think, when he was promoting uh, Life Aquatic or something like that. And uh, I was like, hi, Mr. Murray. Um, my name is Nick. Uh, I am a uh, comedian. I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, I'm performing downstairs in a few minutes if you'd like to come down and watch. And he looked at me and just sort of was like, and uh at which point i was like uh i'm a huge fan and now i will walk away and thank you for your time and um i walked downstairs and was just like what have i just done like what possibly could i have been thinking uh because i walked back downstairs to seven people at like 11:45 on a tuesday night but then i'm like oh there's no way he's going to come downstairs uh, and then as I'm walking on stage to do the jokes that I've been doing stand-up for about six months at that point, and I was sick of those, like, six jokes, um, and I'm getting up on stage, and as I'm getting up, I see these, like, charcoal pleated pants, like, walking down the <laughs> stairs, like, Rushmore, Scrooged, Groundhog Day, the first half of Stripes, and, and, I, get, and I get on stage, and... Bam, Bill Murray is sitting there with his son. And it's a good lesson to be learned. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Because I got on stage and bombed. I froze up and bombed. I couldn't remember my jokes. I couldn't. I started to apologize to him without trying to directly apologize to him. You know, I was like, yes. Sorry for some of these. I was thinking because... If you were involved in the Star Wars bar parody in season two of Saturday Night Live, you know, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> oh. And I limped off stage. I mean, I, there was silence. And I've, I mean, I've, been, I've had very bad sets before. I've never had go, anything go as badly as this. It's like... So it was like losing your boner, like you're done. You know what I mean? Like once it happens, you're done. And um, and I lost my comedy boner on Bill Murray. <laughs> and he said he wouldn't tell anyone, but I know he did. <laughs> um, it was terrible. It was terrible. But and it sort of follows, it follows the philosophy of like you know, give it a whirl, and you know. Oh, but it was terrible. It's it's tough for me to justify it. I guess it, it's given me, you know, a couple minutes of something to talk about. <laughs>
It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedian Nick Kroll. We'll have more with Nick from the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland when we return. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. Hey, it's Jesse. I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank the more than 700 folks who increased their donation, gave one-time donations, or became monthly supporters of the Sound of Young America and MaximumFun.org during our third annual Maximum Fun Drive. My thanks to every single one of all of you. I was really wowed and awed uh, by your support for this work that we're doing. Um, uh, you can rest assured that there will be a lot of cool stuff uh, coming down the pipeline because of your support. I can't announce any of it, but you'll see it as it shows up. So thank you very much. I especially want to thank uh, Doug, who became our first Jesse's Golden Eagle donor at $200 a month, and Rebecca, the Starling family in Hampton, who all became Jordan's Platinum Angels at $100 a month. So my special thanks to all of them. Now, folks have been emailing me, can I still donate? Um, even though the pledge drive is over, yes, the Sound of Young America is supported by your donations. Whether or not we're actively asking for them, you can always donate to support MaximumFun.org by clicking on Donate on any page of our website. So thank you so much to all of you who've donated. Thank you so much to all of you who continue to donate over the years. Um, I really appreciate all your support. Thank you very much. Let's get back to The Sound of Young America live on stage at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon. My guest is comedian Nick Kroll. I want to talk for a second about these characters that you've built. Um, for a long time, you hosted a comedy show with, uh, in New York with the past uh, Sound of Young America guest John Mulaney, a very funny, very funny man. stand-up comic. The funniest, also, the funniest man. Also, a, um, just, just followed you at Georgetown. Yes, what led you to decide to host a very regular comedy show in a very specific character mode? And, and tell me a little bit about the characters that the two of you created for that show. Well, John, John and I met at Georgetown. I cast him in the improv troupe when I was a senior and he was a freshman. And, and we became very fast friends. And, and I have uh, tried to milk his comedy genius ever since then. And, and we were in New York one day um, at The Strand. Uh, which is a bookstore, kind of like Powell's here, I guess. It's it's not as big, but it's. Uh, we would always joke. It's uh, the slogan is uh, eight miles of books, and then we added uh, and twelve miles of loneliness. <laughs> and um, and we saw these guys in there. Uh, these two like middle aged Upper West Side. They're sort of like Woody Allen characters, um, and uh, they were both buying copies of Alan Alda's uh, autobiography Never Have Your Dog Stuffed <laughs> and their own copies of it and we just we we were like because you know you spot these characters especially in New York and and uh, I've seen a bunch of really bizarre people in Portland so far and uh, you just you spot them and sort of I spy on them a little bit and um, we bu- we watched them both buy their own copies and then we watched them go to a coffee shop and we just sort of sat close and listened as they sat down individually and started both reading their copies of Alan Alda's Never Have Your Dog Stuff. And we just listened to the way they talk, and we just started talking like them. You know, it's like, oh, you guys want to get together, maybe do a little cocaine? You guys want to do a little cocaine powder and just get ridiculous? And, um, 
<laughs> and I do it's in my stand up is sort of like uh like talking dirty like an old man being like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna put my paws all over your tushy. <laughs> um and so we literally started talking like them constantly. And I think that we were like, well, if we're going to spend all of our time talking like these people, being like, well, let's get on misspace.com. Let's go to websites, you know, like, and that caused us to be like, maybe we should do something with them. And so what we decided to do was create these characters and they're, you know, it's turtlenecks and blazers and, uh, uh, unpleasant khakis. And, uh, we just started hosting as two Upper West Side middle-aged divorcees who were obsessed with Alan Alda, who, who for some reason ran a comedy show downtown. And then we would interview everybody after the show. Jesse, sweetie, that's nice tweed. Where did you get that? Grandpa's house? You know, and like you just sort of talk like that, and, and for some reason you can say a lot more stuff. And everything was like, on a scale of one to Alan Alda. <laughs> One being the worst, and for some reason in my mind, you know, Alan Old is the most perfect human being in the world. What would you give the show so far? An Elliot Gould. Ooh, an 8.3. <laughs> so there's a lot of that. There's, uh, there's another character uh, that you do that blows my mind every time. Um, You're so right. Uh, <laughs> Um, we've seen him doing uh, red carpet interviews for MTV and um, uh, on, on the uh, Human Giant Marathon on MTV and, and in various other venues. It's this character named Fabrice Fabrice. Mm-hmm. Um, last night I was at dinner trying to explain what Fabrice Fabrice was to someone mm-hmm. and failed absolutely. Well, that, that's my fault then. <laughs> um, Fabrice... Fabrice Fabrice is like, um, he's the craft services coordinator for the TV show That's So Raven. Already. There you go. Um, uh, And he's just vicious. Um, He's like a vicious uh, sort of gay Latino. And he... um, He's just vicious. I mean, he's just, he is, I think the truth is, is he's, vi- he's basically me without a filter. Um, and so all the terrible thoughts that I have in my head come out through him. And, and it's acceptable. I think it's like the basis, the basis of the character is, is again, being in, in New York and um, being on the subway. And um, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know, how do you, what happens when you swear on public radio? Do you bleep, bleep it? bleep it out, okay. yeah. All right, so... Um, what happens when you say really offensive words that aren't swears? We'll find out. Okay, so um, I was on the subway, and there was, like, these, like, five, like, 15-, 16-year-old gay black boys, uh, young men, who, in New York, and they hang out on Christopher Street. Um, and I'm just fascinated by them because I think they're so... To be that, you have to be so tough and so on guard because I think it's really tough you know in, in any community to to be to be like young and gay but I think specifically in in certain communities it's 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 more difficult and like so I think they build up a real vicious a real strong guard and these kids were on the subway and this one this one kid was like if any of those boys at school fuck with me I don't give a shit I'll fuck them up I'm still a nigger and I was just like oh my god 
It was amazing. It was really, I mean, I know that whole thing will be bleeped, but like, <laughs> but it was, it was amazing. It was just so, it was so, every, it was so compact. It was like, it was just like, it was like human poetry. <laughs> and, um, cause most poetry is done by animals. Um, <laughs> ask you before you go um what i got plenty of time <laughs> when you when you're invited you you were uh you were a, a core cast member of of the sitcom caveman which um which i think caught a lot of backlash because it was based on a series of television commercials mm-hmm. that while much loved as television commercials may or may not have merited transformation right. into a television program mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, what I heard from people who watched the show regularly were, were, was that it was that you regularly transcended the fact that it was based on a television program. But I'm, I mean, on a television commercial. Mm-hmm. What I'm interested in, though, is before you knew that, before that you knew you're a cast member of this show working with these people. Right. What is it like when your agent calls you and says, we want you to audition for a real television show based on a popular television commercial? Um, well, I did, remember, I did all the Tony the Tiger movies. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I got that, uh, that was my first, pi- I flew out to L.A. To, to live in L.A. for like two, three months to do pilot season, which is like this period of time from... Uh, early February through March, where everyone, the brilliant uh, system of TV is they everyone freaks out and stresses out and does every TV show they're going to make for the next year in that period of time. So actors are auditioning for six things a week and don't remember anything. Casting directors are freaking out. Writers are on schedule. Executives are overwhelmed. And that's how, uh, and that's how we end up with the, the stellar network lineups that we find ourselves with today. And um, I, I was, uh, you know, new to L.A., and, and um, uh, my dick was too small for porno. <laughs> and so I, um, no, I, I think I, I got the call, and I actually read the script and thought the script was really funny. Um, and I was, I was, I needed to, you know, I need, you need to do jobs. Like, again, it's like, uh, one of the things that I found is, like, you just need to experience something so that you've done it. So the next time you do it, it's easier and better. Like the next time I do a live taping of an, uh, uh, a public radio uh, uh, comedy interview show, I'll be much funnier. I'm sorry that you guys are catching this one, <laughs> but I'll be better. But I really do believe that. And so I got on, when I booked that show, you know, I got to do 13 episodes and learn how to act on camera. Uh, granted, it was behind like six inches of silicone that took four hours every morning to put on and turn my face into um, uh, do you guys you know remember Slimer uh, just hot dogs coming down my gullet it's uh, <laughs> for me and I made some really good friends and, and, and I think you know inherently the show well, there are a lot of things like what worked with the commercials was it was this quick moment into these, this, this bizarre life of these and all it was was these 30 second vignettes and you saw a brief glimpse and part of the beauty of it was that you were in and you were out and to turn that into a, a 22-minute episode was was difficult, um, but I think uh, I think it's like you gotta you gotta at least like you know fail gloriously, um, because it's like do we you know who wants to watch another show um, like Thirty Rock or The Office like those pieces of garbage right? 
Uh, I'm doing a new show called Burning Bridges, and um, no, I'm kidding. I love those shows. Um, I really do. But it's you know why not? Why not give it a whirl? My guest Nick Kroll is now working with a, a certified television genius in Mitch Hurwitz on uh, the new show Sit Down and Shut Up, which just premiered on Fox. Nick Kroll, thank you so much for being on Thanks the Sandy Young me, America. Jesse. It was really great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nick. Nick Kroll, ladies and gentlemen. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Our editor is Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always email me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at MaximumFun.org. By the way, if you haven't checked out our new website, it's pretty sweet. Okay, we'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America.